I was upset. I didn't think I had what it takes. It took a while to admit anything was wrong. Diet and exercise sounded intimidating. But small, easy goals made it easy to start. Every situation is different. There are many paths to victory, but the end goal is all the same. This is the Weight Loss Podcast with Matt and Courtney, a couple who committed to a strategy and lost a combined 100 kilograms. When it comes to weight loss, you don't just need encouragement, you need a strategy. Hello and welcome back to the Weight Loss Podcast. My name is Courtney and as always, next to me is my awesome co-host, Matt. Yes, welcome back. That implies you've uh, listened to us before. So yes. yes, welcome back. Well, welcome back and we should say welcome for the first time to any new listeners. Or just hello. Or just hello. Hi, how are you going? Excellent. <laughs> We're very excited for today's topic. We are. I think that people are going to be quite surprised when they go, when we start going through this topic, Matt, and uh, what they learn and what they take out from it. I'm, I know I was when we first went through it. Well, it's very on point because yes, we all, those, you know, you listening, Courtney and I uh, have similar goals, hence why it's called the Weight Loss Podcast. So what a shock, our goals are related to weight loss. Now, the thing is, we're not all the same people. We think differently, we react differently. Uh, we, we are all individuals and that even extends to our food personalities in terms of how we, how we think about food, uh, how our emotions are tied to food and how our habits are dictated by our food personality, but also vice versa. Absolutely. How so our, our habits really sort of define what type of an eater that we are. So it, it goes without saying that a critical part of a, a permanent transformation comes down to, you know, what goes into our body. Yes. And I mean, we, we could have a discussion here, Courtney, about how so many people overemphasize exercise. Yes. And it's all about the training, but not actually paying attention to what happens away from that. But we'll save that. Yeah, we'll save that rant we'll, for another day. Yeah, we'll put that soapbox away for now and get on it later on. But it goes without saying that, yes, uh, what we eat uh, dictates basically everything that we get from the training that we do. Yeah, absolutely. However, we're all different types of eaters. 100%. <laughs> so what we have here is a list of seven different types of Food personalities yes. that have come from behavioral research. Yes. So what Courtney and I are going to do is run down uh, the list, well, each different type of personality, uh, what, what they are or who they are. Yes. What sets this personality off in terms of the triggers for the challenges that the personality faces. And then uh, some strategies on what, to, what you can do to work within this type of personality. And I think what's going to be good, Courtney, is for, for two of us to sort of chime in on where where we fit into this personally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing to remember as well with these personalities is you may not necessarily just be one. Well, I know I'm not. I'm not. I don't think you are either. <laughs> I'm Com definitely a combination. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I actually suspect that most people will be a combination. But hey, again, we're all different. This is going to be good, I think, for all of us. Yeah, well, I think it's just it's really good exercise to do because it's things that we, you don't usually think about. I never, I never thought about it before I 
read this research and really thought about, well, what, what sort of food personality am I? It's not something I ever would have thought of. And it's not something that ever I would have thought would be really an important part. But it is really interesting to see once you go into the research and once you start analyzing yourself and realizing, okay, what food personalities do I have? And then you get really a good understanding of where a lot of your trigger points come in and where a lot of your habits come in. And mm. yeah, it's really interesting. So it's a great learning tool. Yeah, so you are able to actually apply it to a lot of your, it's not just a fun thing to do. You are actually be able to use this information. Well, it's helpful. And practically apply it into you your transformation. Yeah. All right. So let's let's dig in. So the first type of food personality is the anxious. Yes. So the anxious eater, uh, who is who works by stress and anxiety levels. Yes. So they will eat for comfort, uh, and in that sort of regard, they'll eat to feel happy and feel better about themselves. So often, the anxious eater will have a history of dieting and binging. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will usually have a sensitive type of personality and can be a little bit touchy with things and very caring, but they have a very low self-esteem. So obviously great people and are very good and very hard workers, but also look to sort of mask and hide their, their anxiety mm. with a bit of false positivity, a bit of bravado, etc. Courtney, does this sound like you? Yes. <laughs> In what way? Well, it definitely was me in the past uh, and I probably still have to work on this because I think this ties in a lot to what I've spoken about in the past with my emotional eating. And when I would go through emotional eating sort of stages, I would binge on food and it was usually because of anxiety or stress or because I just wasn't feeling good, um, those sort of things. So this does play into that that um, habit that I used to have of emotional eating and binging on sweet food. Yeah, I do think the anxious eater is indeed the emotional eater. Yeah. So the anxious eater is triggered. Their personality is triggered uh, by things like external changes. Mm. So it can be changes at home, at work, with relationships, friendships, stress. Yes. uh, Bad days. Yes. Can you relate, Courtney, to any of these triggers yourself? Yeah, absolutely. That's where all my uh, emotional eating used to come from. I was went through a really bad bout when I was in my late teens to early 20s of really high anxiety. And so obviously that led to me being in a high state of stress all the time. Mm. So I would convince myself that certain things were going to happen when it hadn't even started to even look like it was going to happen, but I had just, I would overthink everything and I would convince myself that things were going to happen before they actually happened. I worked in hospitality and I worked shift work. So it was quite a high stressful job and I would take a lot of the stress home with me. I didn't have the ability to be able to just go to work. Maybe work was stressful, but then I go home and that's it. That's work stress. This is I'm home now. I didn't have that that ability to 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 shut that off so I would bring home a lot of work stresses with me as well and then at the time as well you know I was overweight I wasn't overly comfortable with the way that I looked so of course there were times where I just wasn't happy at all mm. so definitely 
this one does sort of bring up a lot of things in me where I would go through that in the past. And I have spoken about, even though I don't have anxiety anymore the same way I used to, even though I don't have the stress in my life that I used to, and I don't hate the way I look like I used to, uh, emotional eating for me is something that I still have to be mindful of. Uh, that I don't just fall back into doing. So even though I'm saying a lot of this stuff is, oh yeah, I used to do this, used to do this, it's still there in my life. It's just not as prominent as it used to be. Yeah, so the the anxious eater is often, you know, is going to be the emotional eater, but also the binge eater. So when they, are, when they are triggered, the anxious eater is going to probably fall off the wagon and fall off it pretty hard and go on to a, a pretty good binge. So we're looking now at the strategies of what you can do if you identify yourself as being an anxious eater, what can you do or what can you sort of implement to, to work around this or work within this? Planning, planning routines um, and just having routines in general. So it can be having a routine for meal preparation, uh, having routines for where you store your food, how you store your food uh, is going to be very, very helpful if you're an anxious eater, but also sort of working on finding other things to do for relaxing yourself than eating. So I know for myself personally, I am not an anxious eater and never have been. I actually have been an anxious exerciser. Ah. Where if I'm stressed, uh, I'll go and take it out in the weights room, huh? Or go and use it, use it to run faster, going up hills, or whatever my sort of intense cardio session will be. Probably a discussion for a, a different episode. Yeah. But I think if there's such a thing as an anxious exerciser, it's me. Yes. Um, I've never been an anxious eater. I think Courtney, since you and I have been together, you could relate to that. Hundred percent. But a lot of our clients have been and are. Yeah. Anxious eaters. So I think um, finding finding a distraction and finding some way to relax and calm yourself down other than eating is important, which means trying out different things and possibly looking for hobbies if you don't have them yeah. uh, or maybe different hobbies if you do and they're not helping you to to get away from this sort of habit. Yeah, and I think just, just general coping mechanisms with stress. So if it is stress-related to work, working on mechanisms to be able to mentally switch that off when you go home um things like that there's there's different stress um anxiety style coping mechanisms uh, and strategies that you can put in place yeah i think also just sort of in closing uh with uh with the anxious eater um being a bit regimented where possible in terms of planning out um the, the times during the day that you plan to have your meals Mm. Uh, and also your locations. Uh, pretty good in terms of habit building. Again, a podcast we need to do in the near future. Yes. Which we will. We're I, working on that we, one. We promise it's coming. Um, but developing the habit of eating at certain times in certain locations. Yeah. Is going to give you a bit of a sense of control and a bit of structure about what you're doing. So that's, uh, that's the anxious eater. Yes. The next one is the socialite. The socialite, yes. So the socialite, obviously, as as advertised, likes loves, being out with loves friends. Loves being social. Loves <laughs> being social, eating out with friends, the big breakfast, the big lunches, the big dinners. 
anywhere where they can be social, hanging out with people that they like or even meeting new friends, but they're also surrounded by a lot of tasty temptations. Yes. So I know from my experience as a trainer, I've worked with a lot of socialite eaters. Mm. Uh, They're very all over the place with their meal patterns because their social plans are coming first. Yeah. And often I tend to find with uh, the socialite eater is that they'll have a really big lunch with friends, for example, and really hit it hard, and that's it. For hours and hours and hours and hours and hours until dinner, when you come home tired, starving, and probably a little bit emotional from a tough day. Mm. Now, the thing is with the socialite, they're most predisposed to using exercise as a trade-off. So they love physical activity, and there can be a bit of a social element there in terms of you know running groups, walking groups, etc. Exercising with family and friends, but then going out to lunch and having whatever they're looking at, having it at whatever restaurant because it's okay, I just exercised. Or the other way around. I'll burn it off on Monday. So, so quite often the socialite eaters will go out all weekend and socialize, eat, drink, Everything, and then go into the and gym then on they'll Monday. hit the gym on Monday, and they say, "Oh, but I'll make up for it on Monday." But can you? But that's that—that's the other trade-off that this style of eater often does. And we know it doesn't work that way. No, uh, unfortunately, it does not work that way at all. Uh, but if you're a socialite eater, um, there's a pretty good strategy here for working around this uh, without sort of you know having to kill your social life because that's not sustainable mm. or fun. Uh, the big strategy there for the socialite eater is to eat before you go out. Yeah. Yep. So be, be on point with your meal preparation um, and sort of know what you're doing and when you're doing it. And if you have a bit of, a bit of self-discipline and you've set boundaries for yourself, let's say we use Courtney and I as an example. We, we will have our sort of like date breakfast, date lunch, date dinner. Mm-hmm. Once or twice a week. Outside of that, not really. No. We have we have our staple food, which we like. Well, I know I like mine. Yes. But if Courtney and I were invited to, say, a, a birthday party mm. where we know there's going to be a spread on. But like your parents' house, Courtney, is a good example of that. Yeah, always going to be a lots of A family gathering at, at yeah. Lay Clan headquarters. Yes. <laughs> Um, how often have Courtney have you and I eaten before we've gone or taken our own food with us? Well, pretty much every time we do we go. Unless it's a planned thing. Unless it's a planned thing, but we'll often as well just take food sometimes in that sort of situation because it's in a home environment just in case we want something else or we might be there longer than we had anticipated, yeah. those sort of things. But, but if we were going out though... If we were going out, we would eat before we left. Eat before you leave. Mm. So a really good strategy for the socialite eater is to not go to these events hungry. Yes. The, t- the temptation there for a socialite eater is then just to go nuts and to go wild. Whereas if you eat before you leave, it's not necessarily eating right before you walk out the door so you're not going to eat while you're out. It's eating close to the time before you leave. So by the time you go out... You're ready for maybe some more food, but you're not necessarily starving. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, there's um, it reduces the chances of really sort of overeating and mm. overindulging, 
uh, on all these temptations that can be out there when we're doing going to these social events. Definitely. Now, uh, both Courtney, you and I have actually done this ourselves. I can say from my perspective, this works. 100%. It does work. And I think as well, there's other strategies if you are a socialite eater that you eat out a lot that you can implement and Matt we've gone through some of these before you speak about eating out so and you and you spoke about before planning ahead yeah. so plan ahead look at where you're going yep out for food so make sure have a look at the menu i don't think there's a restaurant now anywhere that doesn't have their menu up online somewhere that you can find on their website it. so you can look at their menu ahead of time to make sure there's going to be something there for you to eat just because you eat out and just because you're social doesn't always mean that it automatically equals I can just eat whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with a socialite eater that is just changing your mindset on eating out, which is just because you're going out to eat doesn't mean that you can't still eat good food. Yep. So you can keep your goals in mind when you eat out. So that is where the eating, not leaving the house starving will come in handy, but that's also things like looking at the menu ahead of time, seeing what's on there that you're going to be able to have. Mm. Asking when you get to the restaurant if you can have things like uh, salad dressing on the side, if you can have your your fish uh, grilled instead of deep fried. The extra serving of vegetables. These, these sort of things that, again, I think there's restaurants and customer service these days that's so... Uh, op- so much more open to different variations on the menu that usually it's fine if you ask politely, can I have this just without this or or something like that. They're usually very accommodating. So it's never being afraid to also ask for those sort of things. It never, never just assume because I'm going out all the time, it's just a license to eat anything I want whenever I want. Mm. Because as you said, Matt, yeah, saying to yourself, I'll go to the gym on Monday isn't going to make up for it. No, and I have a suspicion if you're listening to this podcast, you know that doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> All right, so the next personality is the pleaser. The pleaser. I have known countless numbers of pleasers. Mm. The pleaser puts others before themselves. I bet this sounds familiar. So... Chances are they do make good food for themselves and watch as other people eat it. Yes. Kids, husband, wife. I was going to say mothers. I think uh, a lot of our clients that are mothers tend to be fall into this trap. Yep. And as you said, yeah, anyone that does have other people living with them, housemates, even family that's visiting on holidays, things like that. Yeah. They'll they'll tend to become a pleaser. So even if you maybe necessarily weren't always a pleaser, you might have family staying with you for a long period of time and you develop into a pleaser. And the pleaser, I think as well, um, often that, that sort of aspect about them, yes, they're, they're a giving type of person and they care about others, but that's part of what has got them in, into a bit of a, a hole in the first place is that they're always putting others before themselves. And this also plays into with their food selections in terms of, well, I've made all this great food but my kids are hungry. Oh, they can eat it. Yeah. I'll have whatever's left or whatever's lying around. Yep. So the the pleaser is really triggered by being a caring and self-sacrificial type of person that they'll put everyone else's needs before their own. But that, you know, that causes the problem. Correct. Now, 
I, Courtney, I don't think you or I fall into this category. We're definitely not pleasers. I know, We're I too don't, selfish. Should we please? Ain't fucking no one eating before me. We are definitely too selfish. Should we please? I'm one of six kids, so I grew up not being a pleaser. Because when you grow up as one of six kids, you eat before it's gone. Like a, a lot of a lot of mums fall into this category. Yeah. A lot of parents. Yeah. Uh, but also people who work in um, care-based careers, mm. caring for others, um, I think can fall into this category. And in terms of a strategy for dealing with, you know, if you're a, a pleaser, honestly, Courtney said it before, selfish. You've got, to, you, you've got to put yourself first. You do. You do have to make sure you're... you're setting aside time for yourself and and you know what there also is also food for yourself there's an element of selfishness in an entire transformation oh yeah so you're gonna have to get used to it at some time yes so you may as well get used to it now that you are gonna have to put yourself first if you want to achieve your goals because the people around you aren't gonna they can't achieve your goals for you mm-hmm so if you don't put yourself first then your goals aren't gonna be met well said and it is one thing to you know, put aside the time and say, look, I'm going to go to the gym two, three, four times a week mm. as per my program. Fantastic. Well done. But that level of self-priority has to extend to the kitchen as well. Yes. So it's just a case of, yep, the, you know, if, you're, if you're a parent or if you're some sort of carer, yes, people do need to get looked after, but you need to look after yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to make sure you've always got extras, something like that, that's a great way also to counteract this, where it's always just make sure you've got extra food then. Yeah. If you feel like you might be caught in a situation where your child or your loved one or someone is going to be lacking in food or needs food, then always just make sure whenever you go somewhere you've got extra so mm. you're not giving away your food, that you're not giving away your meal, your portion to other people. That's still yours, but you've brought extra just in case. And what you'll find if you're a pleaser, uh, as you start to you know, give yourself some priority while also looking after others around you, you're going to be very empowered uh, and build a lot of confidence because you know you can help yourself while helping others and it becomes a lot easier to do. And you know what? I'm glad you said that, Matt, because I think a lot of pleasers feel... Like, like it's not going to be an empowering thing that they feel like or they're going wrong. to be made to feel bad about it that they're going to be looked at being selfish looked at being a bad parent looked at being a bad person then you know that's the way that they assume it's going to go whereas you're right it is a very empowering thing yeah and i i would strongly obviously disagree um, with that idea, in my sort of opinion, you can't help others if you're not prepared to help yourself Correct. first. Correct. Correct. All right. So the next personality type is the impulsive. Yes. Uh, I think the weight loss industry makes most of its money off the impulsive uh, food personality because they're the type of person that will go uh, diet hopping. Mm. Uh, chasing every quick fix around them, looking for that easy way out. Mm-hmm. Um, or anything that might help them to you know, finally beat the battle of the bulge, if you get what I'm saying. Yes. So the impulsive, uh, the impulsive eater is a notorious self-sabotager. Yes. And are highly prone and vulnerable to very, very poor food choices. Um, and often they will sort of overlook or forget what they're eating. Mm-hmm. 
until something comes up that reminds them of where they're going. So you might jump on the scales and you've gained five kilos. Or you go to put on that pair of jeans and all of a sudden they're just a little bit tight. Yes. Around the hips where previously they weren't. And that's when it triggers them to then go straight away into, you know, okay, shit, what's the next diet I can do to fix this fast? Yeah, absolutely. So the impulsive eater is someone who is literally all over the place, hmm? um, not building any patterns and not building any routines. I can relate to this. Can you? Yes, I can. Hmm. Um, when I get complacent, I get impulsive. Now, I, I, by, by impulsive, I don't mean that I go looking for the next quick fix because, well, no. I know that's horse shit. I mean in terms of... Um, being a bit uh, a bit loose on what goes into my body. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sort of letting go of any patterns that I've sort of established for myself. Mm. Now, I know this from my own personal experience uh, that a really, really good strategy for an impulsive eater is to have systems in place. Yes. And strategies and routines. So we're talking about systems that will help to create an environment that will surround us, because I'll say us because I'm, I'm one of these impulsives, with, uh, with better food choices. Mm. So I think you'll find if you're an impulsive eater, you're always going to be one, but you can minimize how bad it is. The effects are, yes. Yep. Uh, also, what helps an impulsive eater, and I can speak to this from first-hand experience, is having a very strong why. Yeah. So... It's, it's one thing to sort of pay for a personal trainer, pay for a program, pay for something and think, oh, this is, what, this is what I need to sort of beat this. No, because it's one thing to sort of make the decision to change. It's another to have the reason why you are actually doing it. Yeah. So if the impulsive eater has or finds a very strong why for why they're changing, that can be the sort of cornerstone that's in their head that helps them develop you know, the systems and the patterns that can overcome or minimize the damage of being an impulsive eater. Yeah. Can you relate to this, Courtney? Yeah, now that you've, you've explained it in that way, when I read the research on it, I didn't think that I fell under that category because it was, a lot of the research was based around diets and uh, erratic timing of eating and just erratic eating in general. And I thought, well, I'm not an erratic eater. So... I don't fall under this category. But now you've explained it in those ways, I think many people would actually fall underneath this category, even not not so that they may be at that level as not everyone is going to be the level as a diet jumper and an erratic eater, but definitely at the level of I do also have the ability to get complacent with what I'm doing. And just allow old habits to creep back in, in terms of not watching the systems that I've put in place, not watching that good habits I've put in place and allowing potentially sort of missing meals here and there or or eating too much of the wrong sort of meal and not remembering that strong goal as to why I was doing it. Mm. All right. So the next food personality is the no-nonsense yeah, I'm definitely not this person. No, you are not. <laughs> the no-nonsense basically looks at food as fuel. 
Doesn't have that quite that same emotional response. To I food. well, I eat so I don't die. Yeah. Basically, so they're very very good at listening to their body, mm. uh, not their head or their heart, even when it comes to their food choices. Yeah, I'm definitely not this person. <laughs> um, but often the the no nonsense eater can also forget to eat when they get busy. Mm. I mean, how 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 many of us can relate to the idea of of being so busy the afternoon at work? I forgot to have my food. Yeah. So often the, uh, the no-nonsense eater that doesn't have any sort of emotional attachment to their food can be triggered by being busy mm. and having some sort of project or something that they're working on make them kind of forget to eat. Yeah. And because they don't have that connection with food, it is just something that they do. It is easy for the no nonsense style food eater to forget to eat. A lot of people would be listening. That's not a big deal when they do. Yeah, a lot of people would be listening to this thinking, why would someone forget? How could someone possibly forget to eat all day? But it does happen. I've seen it with clients for sure. Because they don't, they don't value food in terms of an emotional reaction. It is literally just something, as you said, Matt, so they don't die. I eat so I live. I eat. I eat because it is literally just fuel for my body. They get no enjoyment most of the time out of eating. They just do it. Yeah, so a good strategy for a no-nonsense eater is to actually make your food enjoyable. Make it something that you enjoy or you look forward to having. Yes. And I actually think this approach helps any type of food personality, not just the no-nonsense, which is having it where you enjoy what you eat on a regular basis. So we talk about staple foods and bonus foods. Mm-hmm. You have to enjoy your staples. Yeah, of course you're going to like your bonus you have, foods. Well, well duh. That's, that's a given. You, but definitely need to enjoy your staples. And especially if you're a no-nonsense eater, is experimenting with different types of meals, different types of combinations, vegetables, herbs, spices, different protein sources, different cooking methods, and come up with meals... That you just like, oh shit, I can't wait to eat that. Yeah. Now, if you have these with you, say whether you're at work or on the go, and you know that there's a, you've got a meal coming up and you like what you're having, you minimize the chances of missing it. Mm. Because it's almost like an event. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. I get to have that. That. Whatever that might be. So being prepared, but putting in the time to create your own sort of plan of meals that you love and are excited to have is the top strategy for, well, I suppose, not forgetting to eat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be neither of us. Nope. That okay. is, that's a def- we'll move on past that one. I now. would say the no nonsense is a, a lower percentage of clients that I've worked with, but have dealt with them before. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is a common one. The restrained. Mm. The restrained eater and the restrained personality do have uh, a pretty strong willpower in terms of what they are and aren't allowed to eat. Mm. And they often, the restrained personality will be looking for rules and looking for structure and looking to be told what to do. Problem is, this type of a food personality is often a perfectionist and has a very, very, very high standard where if those standards aren't met or if there's any sort of mistake, they'll fail. 
I've fucked up. <laughs> because something has gone wrong. Now, I, from my experience, think the restrained type of eater, there's plenty of them out there. We haven't dealt with many of them, but we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect uh, there would be a couple of clients of ours right now who would listen to this and identify as being restrained, who are actually working on this. Yes. The restrained person is usually triggered by mistakes. Mm. So I had a meal out with my husband or wife and it wasn't what I am allowed to have. Thus, I failed. And all of a sudden, you start getting anxious Mm. and upset and you beat yourself up. So the easy strategy for the restrained food personality is to lighten the fuck up. Yes. Basically. Chances are, if you give yourself permission to, and I use the term loosely, make mistakes, your life will be better and more enjoyable for it. 100%. I am definitely not this one. Um, I'm definitely not this one. But again, as you said, Matt, we've seen a lot of, clients that are and well, I often just before I, you can sorry Courtney if I may interrupt often the restrained eater I can identify them if I'm talking to one when they ask me what should I eat yeah so oh, what what should I have for breakfast where's well, my meal plan well, I was about to say or you get a new client that says do you do meal plans to which the answer is fuck no you know they, they refer to what they eat on a day-to-day basis as a diet um that they want to, that they'll be very uh, strict with themselves, but then they'll just take Christmas off. Um, or stress about or things like numbers, off. calories. Yeah. So things like that just indicate this sort of personality. But it, it, it's interesting. This sort of personality is interesting, I think, because I have seen clients that have started off definitely not this personality, opposite to this personality. and But once they've started they've actually turned into this personality because they're so afraid to make a mistake that it's going to ruin what they've done that they turn completely the wrong way. So they go too far with the whole thing and then they turn into this sort of personality. And I think that comes about because they're approaching what they're doing like a diet. Correct, yeah. So they might start off with having a great attitude towards food, very open, Says, says all the right things in terms of making mistakes. Yes, I want to make it a lifestyle. Yes, I know I can't be perfect. All these sort of things. But then that fear that starts to creep in that says, but what if I do make a mistake? Then that turns them into this sort of personality where they're too afraid to make a mistake. They're too afraid to do anything wrong. So it does become a diet. It does become a need to be perfect. It does become... Uh, overly intensive sort of focus on that. Mm. You 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 would agree, Matt, that we've seen some clients like that. Hundred percent. That you, yeah. You, yeah, turn it into a diet, um, and like the ship be sinking. Yeah, when that happens. It turns into the restrained eating personality. Sometimes people do start with it, but some people develop it throughout throughout their time as well. One thing I do when I recognize that I'm working with a client who is a restrained eater, I will regularly and routinely strongly encourage them to try new things. Yes. Try different things. And when I inevitably 
get some sort of message like, oh, I fucked up or I failed. Well, no, you didn't. Mm. Not, not the slightest. So I find for me as a trainer, I constantly uh, am sort of reinforcing with a restrained personality, it's okay. Try new things, see what you think. Um, mistakes are A-okay and they won't, they won't fuck things up. Mm-hmm. So it, I t- also think restrained personality can be very fussy. Yeah. As a result. Yes. Um, not necessarily fussy because of what they do or don't like, because of what they think they can or can't have. Yes. Yes. Hundred percent. So, uh, encouraging the restrained eater to try new things is a, a really good strategy that I use. Yes. Let's move on. Last one, Courtney. Last one. Which I think you might be able to relate to. The recluse. <laughs> Me? No. (laughs) You'll get your turn here. The recluse, often as advertised, will eat foods alone. So it might be foods that they might be embarrassed to eat in front of others and will avoid social gatherings as a result. The reclusive eater uh, is obviously very, very low on social confidence and has probably dealt with it for a very long time. So I have noticed, because I was a reclusive eater, and I know you were too, dear. Yes. Reclusive eater likes to sneak food in, mm-hmm. eat it, and eat probably triple the amount of it, and sneak to the bin to throw it away or put it under the bed, under Hide the mattress. The What's that? Hide the rubbish. Hide the rubbish. Courtney, lay it out. Yeah. We know you've been a reclusive eater. Talk to us. I've definitely been a reclusive eater and sometimes, again, just like when we're talking about the anxious eater, even though a lot of these traits don't necessarily suit me down to the T now, I still find myself sometimes just eating when I'm by myself or eating something and then wanting to hide the rubbish. So it still does slowly you know it's it's one of those things i think when you do it for so long uh sometimes little things do still come up but obviously i'm a lot more of an outgoing person now than i used to be but this did affect me back when i was going through my anxious sort of stressful stages i wasn't happy with the way that i looked i wasn't comfortable going out into social situations i didn't go out very much at all I didn't have a very big friendship group, so I kept myself pretty close to home, pretty close to the family. And I would, when I had these binge uh, moments, I would hide the rubbish uh, because I was embarrassed about what I had done. I knew that the amount of junk food that I was eating was not good. So I knew what I was doing was unhealthy and bad. And so I think just instinctively then I try to hide the rubbish so people don't see what I'm this bad thing that I'm doing mm. um, so it's trying to avoid that judgment that that I perceived that I was going to get from from anyone finding out what I was doing so I would definitely eat alone a lot of the time I don't eat very alone very often anymore well, you're married so no but when you live with someone uh, yeah I don't eat very often anymore alone but 
back yet. I did eat all the time by myself. I lived at home with my parents. We did often eat together, but a lot of the time it was just the main meals we'd eat together, maybe like dinner or something like that. But all the other meals I was eating a lot of the time were alone. And I would obviously eat between meals as well, or I'd eat after dinner and that sort of eating I would do by myself in my bedroom. Mm. So the reclusive eater is really going to be triggered by being alone. Yeah. Um, And that then has a a bit of a flow-on effect where they will avoid social situations as a result Mm -hmm. and will just get used to eating alone more and more and more. So the a couple of strategies for, uh, excuse me, a reclusive eater, get a life. Yes. Okay, sorry, that was a bit harsh. Um, But really look to take up, you know, social invitations that you're comfortable accepting. Yes. And building on it from there. So you might start with, for example, having lunch with one of your best friends. Yeah. And and sort of building up the confidence to eat in front of someone you know, like, and trust. Mm. Uh, that's probably the best place to start uh, as a reclusive eater because it helped me a lot when I was younger. Because much like yourself, Courtney, I would always hide what I was eating um, away from my main meals because it was not good. And I think it's often that fear of being judged. So I think that's a really mm. good tip to give. So if you can... Just start by eating in front of somebody who you know is not going to judge you. Um, that that can slowly start to open up, or that you can be open and honest about with them about your fear of being judged, and then you can sort of move forward and and slowly start to work through that. But I think as well, Matt, I think this the recluse eating style and the anxious eating style tend to to often go together yeah because it the recluse eating style often feeds into the emotional eating as well so the anxious eater is it plays very easily into an emotional eater and so does i think the recluse eater okay Mm. uh good observation the other uh strategy that we would give to the reclusive eater is to potentially look for a shopping buddy Someone to go uh, grocery shopping with, where you actually might find yourself a bit more hesitant to load the shopping trolley up with junk food, which long term could be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great tip. So uh, that's a wrap. Yeah, those are the the food personalities. Food personalities. So Courtney and I would like to know which personality or personalities you identify with yeah definitely. So feel free to email us at podcast at the weight loss podcast.com or email uh, sorry or message us through facebook yes uh at the weight loss podcast uh we'd like to know what personality or personalities you are yourself on the subject of emails we have one we do have an email courtney yay cue the music email time There we are. High budget as always. (laughs) We have an email here from Katie. Hi, Katie. Thanks for sending us an email. Who comes from Wales. Oh, cool. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Hello, guys. Uh, Love the the podcast. Thank you very much. You've given me a lot of good tips. I have started an exercise regime, which includes two days of weight training, which I've never done before. Excellent. Well done. I am just wondering... What your opinions are on Slimming World. What's that? I lost two stone on Slimming World previously. 
So I'm wondering if you would suggest using the Slimming World food plan with weight training. I don't know what that is. Did you look up what that was, Matt? You know I did. Oh, you know. Okay, tell us. What is it? You know who you're talking to here, dear. Come mm-hmm. on. Uh, I went and looked because there are so many different plans and things out there. And some some are by country as well. So I don't think Simming World is even really here in Australia, is it? Uh, it's, a, it's a UK thing that's moved right. over to the US. I had to go and, um, and look it up to see what it's about. One of the best things about um, being educated the way that we have, Courtney, is that we know how to assess the viability of a plan very quickly. Yes. In terms of, is this sustainable or is this a fucking humongous waste of money? Mm-hmm. I went and looked up Slimming World because I never heard of it and all looked good to begin with uh, until I saw a few things that put me off, mm. such as meal plans. Such as um, calorie counting. Well, that's what Katie said, that she'd once followed their meal plan. Um, that's also, you are also correct with that. And also weekly weigh-ins. And then um, support, uh, aka emotional support, if the weekly weigh-in doesn't go the way you want it to go. Oh. Which are red flags to me immediately. Mm. And are probably red flags to you as well. Yeah. Wow. Courtney. Okay. So I know for me personally... I wouldn't put myself through that. No. I sure as hell wouldn't put my clients through that. Um, a good example is uh, we've got a client named Allison. If you're listening, Allison, we love you. Hmm. Who has lost 100 kilos. Yes. With us in a year and a half. But Courtney, how do we know she's lost 100 kilos? How do we know? Well, have we weighed her? I haven't. Neither have I. Not once since we met have I put her on the scales. The only way that we know she's lost 100 kilos because she's bloody told us. And looking at her, you'd believe it. Yes. The difference is eye-popping. But the point I'm getting at here is we don't weigh our clients because we don't give a fuck what our clients weigh because the weight isn't the problem. Yeah. If the weight isn't the problem, how can it then be the solution? Weekly weigh-ins are also uh, excessive because week to week, if it, this is a thing I also don't understand about these these programs. If they put you on a meal plan, so you're on a meal plan, so your plan is then set, but you're going to weigh yourself every week. So I don't understand what the what what the deal with that is. That what would it tell if you're going to weigh yourself every week? What would that tell me is that you're going to adjust things week to week, but you're not going to adjust things if you're on a meal plan because it's set, so it's pointless. So it's well, meal plans can be adjusted. It's pointless anyway. But the thing is, is that weighing yourself week to week is pointless because all you're going to do is build yourself up to this one day where you've got to step on the scales. And it's going to be a heightened emotional day because you don't know whether it's going to be good or it's going to be bad. It's or pass or fail, isn't it, really? It's very much like pass or fail. And that can adjust your mood towards food for the rest of the week. And that can be really dangerous. Um, so you're not going to, to make or break your goal in one week or in two weeks or in three weeks. So to weigh yourself every week 
is a pointless exercise and all it's going to do is emotionally potentially corrupt what you do for the rest of the week when it comes to food and exercise. So I think if you're looking, Katie, at one of these sort of plans, what you're best off doing, if you've done it before, take what you've learnt from doing it before. Take the good things that you learnt from doing it before. You obviously didn't do it forever. So you lost weight on it, but you didn't stay on it. So what did you learn about what you were doing when you were on it? And what were the downsides to it? Because you clearly didn't find it sustainable enough to continue doing it. Or perhaps it was sustainable, but the habits weren't reprogrammed long enough or well enough to make it stick. Absolutely. And that's also why your point, Courtney, about the weekly weigh-ins is really on, like, spot on, well said. But also the issue that I've got with things like weekly weigh-ins is how is that a measurement of progress? Because it's, as I said before, it's not the problem. No. No, you don't, you don't often walk into the a shop the and say, hey, and it, but it's not even the goal you end up wanting. This is the thing that you get, we get mixed up where everything's related back to weight and, and, and that's how we judge, I think, the value of people, which is just ridiculous. It's got nothing to do with the number of the scales. You don't walk into a shop and say, hi, where's the section for the 65 kilo people? No one gives a shit. <laughs> like, who gives a shit if you weigh 65 kilos? I could tell you right now what I weigh, no one gives a shit. Like, who cares? The thing is that your end, no one's end goal is to be like that. People's end goals are always to look better, to feel better, to function better. They might want to wear a particular outfit. Or wear any outfit. They might just want to look a particular way they used to look or or something like this. No one says, I want to be 75.95 kilos. Who gives a shit? So that is, it is not the marker that you want to use to judge your progress when that's not your goal. So it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't equal the end. It's like saying my end goal is to bench press 100 kilos, but I'm going to work up to that by walking on the treadmill. What? That doesn't work. So it's the same thing with this. So weighing yourself every week is completely pointless. So for us, uh, the vote is no. No. My, my suggestion, I don't know about you, Matt, but my suggestion would be, like I said, I would look at this. You clearly did it in the past. Look at what you did good. Look what was not good about it. You don't need to do a plan. You need to be looking at your habits and what you need to be doing to change them. And what you've done in the past to get good results, what habits did you change in the past to get good results, but maybe didn't change them or stick with it enough to have a, a permanent change. So then what habits do you need to start working on to get that permanent change? Or alternatively, just talk to us. Or that too. <laughs> we can help you with that. But yeah, that that's where I would personally go with it. I think that those sort of those sort of plans, it's it's just a short term. Uh, mindset and especially when you're talking about weighing yourself every week um, any sort of program that has basically grief counsellors available for you after every week's weigh-in is is showing some alarm bells yeah yep definitely so uh, that is that podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you can reach us Uh, thank you very much Katie for the email would like to hear more from you in the future Uh, let's sign off
Yes. Any any closing thoughts there, dear? No, I think that's it. Please don't weigh yourself this week and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Killed it. Bye. Bye. Get more free tips, listen to previous episodes and contact Matt and Courtney at theweightlosspodcast.com.